In Judges 1, we have really a historical introduction to the book of Judges. That is, in Judges 1, we find the backdrop historically to why the rest of the book of Judges is the way it is. And though I won't take time to uh, expand at great length here this morning, I think that the, uh, the bulk of chapter 1 is looking back to things that happened in uh, the book of Joshua, and it's looking to some of the incomplete conquest of the land that you read about in Joshua. For when you get to chapter 2 and verse number 6, you again have a summary of the fact of Joshua's death. So chapter 1, as I understand it, actually takes time. It, takes, uh, it happens back in the time of Joshua as we look to this text. And so, for example, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the verses about uh, 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 Caleb, they're all recounted in Joshua chapter 15. Um, in verses 13 and following. Um, And so those verses, uh, I think uh, what what is happening here in in chapter 1 is uh, there's some re-summary of some of the things that have already happened in the book of Joshua. But here we find this historical uh, backdrop, and it is a historical backdrop that serves more as a warning to us than as an encouragement Uh, other than an encouragement to be unlike the people of Israel, an encouragement to be different than uh, the following of the path that they went down. And so as we come to the book of Judges, might we read even uh, this historical passage in uh, that light. I'll begin by reading the first 10 verses of uh, Judges 1. Judges 1, picking it up in that first verse. And it came about, after the death of Joshua, the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord, saying, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Then Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted me, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I in turn will go with you into the territory allotted you. So Simeon went with him. Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they defeated 10,000 men at Bezek. They found Adoni Bezek in Bezek and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adoni Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Adoni Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to gather up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. So they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Then the sons of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. 
Afterward, the sons of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country and in the Negev and in the lowland. So Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba, and they struck Shishai and Ahiman and Talmai. Here the word of the Lord records some of the conquest of the land of Canaan, some of the conquest of the promised land. Might the Lord direct our hearts to attend to his word at this time, and might we bow and ask the Lord to do just that? Lord, we are mindful that it is easy for us to be here in your presence and yet be distracted by the things of the week past, the week ahead. It's possible for us to be here under the sound of the voice of the preaching of your word and yet to be distracted in spirit and soul. Lord, encourage and strengthen us to attend to your word. You have given us good food physically. We pray that you might Rejoice our hearts to accept the good food that you give to us spiritually. We bow now before your word. And so we pray might ever be our posture when we come to listen to you. We ask this in our Savior's name. Amen. Judges 1 really does show us a people who are tempted to follow the patterns of the world. Judges 1 begins to show us a people on the path of conforming to the world around them. The foreign nations surrounding them, the pagan cities near them, stood attractively poised before God's people. The Jews were being transformed into the likeness of their neighbors. And this is not what they were supposed to be doing. This is not what God had instructed them to do. They were being transformed by the world around them, living according to the world's concerns the world's values. You find this clearly laid out in Leviticus 18. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them. I am the Lord, your God. The Israelites in the book of Judges 
pursued peace with the wicked and perverse nations around them instead of actual obedience to God. We dare not grow content in being like the world around us. The world would love to press us into its mold. We dare not follow. This is as true for the people of Israel as it is true for us. 1 Peter 1 verses 14 and 15, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Or consider 1 John 2 and that 15th verse. Might it be well known to us and well heeded. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Consider also that second verse of Romans 12. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're not supposed to be transformed by the world around us. Rather, we're supposed to be conformed to God's word, following God's will, knowing what he wants us to do and doing it. This is as much a problem for the people of Israel in the days of the judges as it is for us. May we take take heed in not growing content, becoming like the world around us. Now I would note for us that Israel's problem wasn't hypocrisy. Uh, it's, it's helpful to think of hypocrisy rightly. Israel's pro- problem wasn't hypocrisy. Their problem was worldliness. Their problem was acculturation and assimilation into the likeness of idolaters who surrounded them. They came to believe the goodness of the wicked things the nations around them did. It wasn't that they were hypocrites. It was rather that they were worldly. They were growing into the likeness of the world around them. You see this uh, further along in Judges. It's it's, uh, pierced through the book of Judges. But uh, chapter uh, 3 and verse 7, The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God. They weren't being hypocrites pretending to follow the Lord and actually following elsewhere. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. That's why the anger of the Lord comes upon them in the book of Judges. Hypocrisy is very different from what the people of Israel were doing in calling good, in believing uh, that something is good, which is actually wicked. Hypocrisy takes something good and tries to replicate it and imitate it 
for selfish reasons. And I think we appropriately think uh, uh, quickly of the Pharisees. Keeping all the laws so that everyone knows I keep all the laws. Right? Keeping all the laws is a good thing. But why were the Pharisees doing it? Not for its good purposes, but for their wicked purposes. So that everyone around can know that I keep all the laws. The problem of Israel was worldliness, not hypocrisy. And as we consider Judges 1, I want to ask the question, in what ways do we see the Israelites becoming like the people around them? And I think we see at least four ways in which the Israelites are becoming like the people around them. Instead of being different like they were called to, they were being acclimated. They were being transformed. Leviticus 18 continues in verse 24 to tell of what would come to the Jews if they were made into the image of the people around them. Leviticus 18, 24 and following, do not defile yourselves by any of these things. Uh, Moses had just uh, listed a whole litany in, in, in chapter 18 of wicked and perverse and immoral and gross things, sins, that the people of the, of the Canaanites and the people of the nations around Israel did. And he's just uh, listed that, uh, that horrendous list as commands of what the people of Israel shouldn't do. Do not devote yourselves by any of these things. For by all these, the nations which I am casting out before you become defiled. For the land has become defiled. Therefore, I have brought its punishment upon it. So the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been defiled before you have done all these abominations and the land has become defiled so that the land will not spew you out should you defile it as it has spewed out the nations which have been before you. God knew that this would be a temptation. That the Israelites would go down the same path of defilement that the people who were in the land before them went down. Defilement is not a problem just with the world outside. Not following God's commands and not walking in God's path is sometimes the very essence of the worldliness that is the problem of God's people. So then, in what ways do we see the Israelites becoming like the world around them? I'll mention four as we consider uh, Judges and this first chapter. 
two of these four instances of the people of Israel becoming more like the uh, nations around them are actually arguments from uh, from silence or arguments from what is missing after this text in Judges 1. And the first of those I find in that very first verse. And it came about after the death of Joshua that the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord. Inquired of that Lord. This exact Hebrew phrase is found nine times in the Old Testament. It's found twice in the book of Judges. Then it's found five times in the books of Samuel. And then it's found twice again in the book of First Kings. Okay, so two times in Judges, two times in First Kings, the other exact phrases inquired of the Lord that you find here, the exact language, spelling in the Hebrew, uh, that exact uh, language is found uh, uh, elsewhere only uh, five times in the First and Second Samuel, other than the two times in Judges and, and Kings. But this inquiring of the Lord is the only time in Judges where it's done positively, where it's done in good ways. The other time that you find this language of inquiring of the Lord, going to seek what he would want, what he desires, is in the end of Judges as you're in that terrible, terrible section where the... the, uh, the Benjamite tribe has done horrific things to a young lady and then left her for dead. She dies, and the man who is her husband cuts her up into pieces and sends the body parts throughout Israel to be a testimony to the wickedness that uh, the people of, of Benjamin had done. And you find the rest of the tribes going in war against Benjamin. This is just a wicked time in the, in the life and history of the people of Israel. And the, the people on the good side, or the people that we would think of as being on the good side of the matter, they inquire of the Lord. But how do they inquire of the Lord? Well, they find a Levite who has a priest who they like. So they steal the Levite from him. They, they, they uh, take the Levite bodily. And when, when the priest comes after him with his small band of his household, uh, he realizes there's no way that I can, or when the man comes after him, the Levite comes after uh, the, the priest that they've stolen, uh, kidnapped. There, there's no way I can fight against them. Uh, I'll have to let him go with him. And, and they think that, they can pay money. They think that they can hire a word from God. They think that they can pay someone and that paying someone, they can find out what God wants them to do. This is the wickedness of the second time in Judges when this language inquire of the Lord happens. This first time in Judges is the only time when it happens this particular language in good ways. Question. If as the decades go by, this is 
the sole time when we're introduced positively to the Israelites inquiring of the Lord. What is wrong with this picture? Now, we all recognize the nations around Israel don't inquire of the Lord. They don't inquire of Yahweh. And from here through the rest of the the book, you have a lessening of the people being concerned about uh, what God wants. People being concerned with what God wants isn't their first thought. It actually goes well here because they do what is right. But this is not what is typical of the rest of the book. We see the Israelites not following the Lord, not wholeheartedly inquiring of him. Probably if you use other language in the Hebrew, then you come to think of cases like Gideon. And why is he, uh, to use the language that's here, but with other Hebrew there, why is he inquiring of the Lord? He's inquiring in, 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 for the purposes of getting out, what God, out of what God wants him to do. Right? I'll make sure that God actually doesn't want me to do what he said he wanted me to do. We'll have some fleece contests. This is, sadly, the life of God's people when they stop calling on the Lord. Might we be those unlike the Israelites, who are faithful in calling on the Lord, faithful in asking him, what would you want, Lord? What would you have for us to do? Lord, these are my needs as I see them. Might you fulfill these needs as you see fit? Not as I, but according to your will. And so I think we see here, even by the lack of what happens after this, an example of Israel becoming like the peoples around them. Now you might ask or wonder if when Judah is told they're supposed to be the first to go up, uh, verse number two, uh, if they're doing something wrong when they ask Simeon, and that is the tribe of Simeon, Uh, to go along with them and conquer the Canaanites in their region. And um, though we might, if we aren't thinking well, be tempted to think that this is another example of them uh, not doing what God said, doing partially what God said, probably that isn't how we should read this text. If you recall, the tribe of Judah was given an inheritance and the tribe of Simeon had an inheritance inside of the area, the geographical location, where the tribe of uh, Judah had their inheritance. And so it's probably right and proper and good that the two of them work together in casting out the the people of the nations who are uh, inhabiting their inheritance as they come to it. And you see uh, this implied in the fact that what does 
the Lord do? Verse 4, the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. The Lord is the one who brought the blessing as they inquired of the Lord, found out what the Lord wanted to do, and then actually did it. But the sad truth is, is this the pattern of the book of Judges for faithfulness here? No. The second time that we see the people of Israel becoming more like the the nations around them is in a curious and uh, almost incidental, but but not incidental, uh, footnote or point that is made in reference to Adoni Bezek. We've read this uh, section. Uh, Israel goes and defeats 10,000 men at Bezek. And then they find the Lord of Bezek. And so that's the, that's the language. Adoni is the Lord, the Lord of Bezek. So this may not even be a proper name. It might just be the title, the Lord of Bezek. Uh, in that uh, era of, of history, uh, it was common for each uh, city to have its own king or its own Lord. And this is exactly what, um, what Adoni Bezek is to the city of Bezek. And what do they do when they, uh, when they find him? Do they kill him? Do they uh, expunge from the land the wicked people of the land? No, verse 6. Instead, they pursue him and caught him and caught off his thumbs and big toes. This was a means of humiliation. This was a means of rendering him incapable of going forth in war and battle, being a fighting person in the future. He no longer is one of the fighting men of the city of Bezek. He is not only incapable of of war and fighting, but he's also humiliated. Now, question. Where did the people of Israel get this idea of cutting off the thumbs or cutting off the big toes? Well, Adoni Bezek actually tells us. Verse number uh, seven. Adoni Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off, used to gather up scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. This was the common practice among the people of the land. God said, exterminate the people who are living inside your territory. That was God's directive. But what do we find again and again? The people of Israel doing well, we can humiliate this one. We can show our greatness over him. We can have one more mouth to feed. I don't know how that would play into anything, but uh, it it seems rather like uh, if you followed God's plan, it would actually be better. And uh, to make a point of it, If you follow God's plan, it's always better, even if you don't see how it's better. This is in keeping with some of the things that happen later in the 
later in the um, uh, the the chapter chapter one. Verse uh, 28, it came about when Israel became strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. They did not drive them out completely. What were they supposed to do? Drive them out completely. What didn't they do? Well, we'll get to to this, but they didn't drive them out completely. Instead, and here's my point right now, instead, they put them to forced labor. As I heard one uh, pastor uh, preaching on this uh, on this passage, uh, imagine you're an Israelite and you uh, do a good job following the Lord like the Lord say. You you take the the people of the land who are in your acre of property and you exterminate them, and then uh, you're you're working farming taking uh, labors to uh, use the land to provide for your needs as God has blessed in uh, giving you this land. But you you look, and while you're working, you look over the fence to the Israelite in the next pasture, and he's actually sitting on his porch with his lemonade, and he's having all of his slaves do the work. Where did he get those slaves? Well, they were the people who he didn't kill. He didn't drive out. You you can see how we can easily begin to justify in our mind how it would be better if we would be like the world around us. Don't kill everyone. Take them as slaves. The second way in which we see uh, the people of Israel not being what God wanted them to be, but rather becoming more like the people around them is in this example of what they do with Adoni Bezek. They do exactly like the nations around them did instead of doing what God said. Thirdly, how else can we see the Israelites becoming like the people around them? And this third one is a counterexample again. An example from uh, silence, as it were. We read to verse 10. Let me pick it up in verse 11. Um, Then from there, he, that's the tribe of Judah went against the inhabitants of Debur. Now the name of Debur was formerly Kiriath Sefer, Kiriath city, the city of Sefer, uh, Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, verse 12 and, and uh, down through verse 15, we find Caleb. And here is the counterexample. Caleb said, the one who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will even give him my daughter Exa for a wife. Athnel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. So he gave him his daughter, Aksa, for a wife. Then it came about when she came to him, and she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. Then she alighted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? 
She said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have given me the land of the Negev. Uh, uh, That is the uh, land of the south country. Give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. What is happening here? Here we have uh, one of the places where the people of uh, the land, in particular this person Caleb, is doing what he should have done. And Othniel doing what he should have done. And Aksa uh, working and acting nobly as she should have done. Caleb, as you recall, was one of the two spies who gave the true report of the land. And God promised that he would have an inheritance in the land. And here is Caleb taking his inheritance. Uh, This is the uh, same account that you will read of back in the book of Joshua in the 15th chapter. And Caleb says, uh, for the reward to capturing Kiriath-Sephir, I'm going to give uh, my daughter Aksa for a wife. And so one of his uh, younger brother's sons actually goes forth victorious against the city of Kiriath-Sephir and earns for himself the reward uh, as a wife, the daughter of Caleb. Um, Now, we think this is rather uh, arbitrary, maybe maybe consumerate, uh, uh, too much uh, the the father selling, as it were, his daughter. But uh, consider it from uh, from more of the Jews' perspective in that day. Uh, Probably it should be seen in very positive light. Uh, Caleb had, before this, gone forth and uh, conquered, and now... He's continuing to conquer, but uh, he does it through the means of another person. He's doing what is good, uh, taking out the people of the land, exterminating them, um, ridding them from the land. Uh, Othniel is uh, shown to be a man who not only is interested in doing what God told the people to do, to drive out the inhabitants of the land, but also is somewhat of a hero. He's able to do this before others of the Israelites are able to claim uh, the prize of Caleb's daughter. Um, Caleb's daughter is getting for herself uh, what every father would want, a good husband, a husband who's not only uh, uh, going to be able to defend her, but also uh, who is doing what the Lord wants. Once, and then you see, uh, you see Caleb's daughter being a particularly, um, particularly. Uh, 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 I just lost the word. Uh, she's working forward in providing for her family and thinking towards the future. Um, and so, what does she do? She says, uh, her, "Her, she's. They've been given this uh, plot of land." Uh, from her father, Caleb. Um, And so she says, if dad's going to give me some land, uh, we better make sure that it's worthwhile and it has a water resource on it. And so she takes initiative and goes and provides even for the future of her family in the way what she does. Now, the question, 
How many Caleb's? How many Othniel's? How many Axas do you find in the rest of the book of Judges? And the answer to be literal is exactly zero. Right? This same Othniel we read of again, and, and again we read of him in positive light. Why? Why don't you have more people like Caleb? I think the answer is that this is an, a counterexample. Unlike Caleb, the rest of the Israelites became more and more attuned to living like the people around them. Fourth and last example of the Israelites becoming like the peoples around them. You find this beginning in verse 19. Beginning in verse 19. Now the the point of uh, verses 2 all the way down through verse 19 is that the people of Judah, the tribe of Judah, they largely had success. They, they largely did what God wanted and uh, were successful in driving the people out. But even the tribe of Judah, who's supposed to be a leader among the tribes, Judah and Simeon, go back to uh, Genesis and the uh, blessing that was given upon them. They being leaders among the tribes of Israel, even they were not completely successful in driving out the people. Note the language. Now the Lord was with Judah, this is verse 19, and they took possession of the hill country, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had iron chariots. And this becomes typical of what you find throughout the land of uh, Israel as you look to the conquest, as you look to the conquering of the promised land. The areas where there were, um, where there were lots of activity, uh, the areas that were well-traveled uh, and were probably most desirable, uh, those areas don't get conquered. The areas where it's flat and the enemy can have the technological advantage of chariots don't get captured. The hill country areas, the easy easy areas to conquer, those are the places where the people of Israel uh, find success. But even there, only find some success. We read of Jerusalem. Um, uh, being uh, being put to the sword. Uh, did, did we read of that? I know we read back in, uh, yes, verse 8. The sons of Judah fought against Jerusalem, captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set uh, the city on fire. But it's very instructive that it's only in David's time, decades and decades to come, it's only in David's time that the city of Jerusalem, uh, Jebus, is finally and surely uh, brought into Israel's control and kept in Israel's control. Even later in the book of Judges, you find them uh, fighting again against the city of Jerusalem. They didn't maintain control. 
We, we read many of these texts last week, and so I won't read all of them. Verse 21, but the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So they conquered Jerusalem, but then they didn't take care of uh, driving out all the people of Jerusalem. Uh, verse uh, 27, but Manasseh did not take possession of Bethshean and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblium and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. So the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. What you find is you find a repeated lack of obedience. Like what was done when Jericho was taken. Like the great sin that led to the Israelites being defeated in their next military conquest. That's the kind of thing that's happening in the conquest again and again. The people of Israel don't obey God completely. Don't put everything in the areas where they were to put them under the ban. Devote them to destruction. They don't do that. Um, verse 30. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of land, for they did not drive them out. Sorry, that's verse 32, but uh, there's others. They did not drive them out. Instead of following the Lord's instruction, what did they do? They did partial obedience. Partial obedience. And isn't this the path even of the world around us? We'll obey God when it's convenient. We'll obey God when we like what God says, when we want to do it anyway. Not because we're interested in obeying God, but because incidentally it's what we want to do. Right? How, how many people in the world around us actually, despite all of the uh, craziness that the news media and proponents will purport um, actually live joyous marriages, a husband and a wife for their entire life, right? But are they are they living as a husband and wife their entire life because that's what God wants them to do? Or are they living as, according to God's instructions, but are they living in that way because it happens to be what works out? It happens to be in, a, in, in accordance with what they want to do. Now, there are plenty of people who give examples of not being in accordance with what God says to do. But you also have plenty of people in the world who follow at one point or another instructions that God has given. We as believers... The people of Israel, we need to be sure of our wholehearted obedience to the Lord. Might we take these four examples of ways in which the Israelites were becoming like the people around them, which really becomes the theme of the whole book of Judges? 
Might we take this as a warning to us that we would be faithful to our God, that we would be faithful when it is easy. We would be faithful when we can see the benefit and when we can't see the benefit. That we would be faithful even when we are weary in faithfulness. My mind goes to what Paul wrote. Do not be weary in well-doing. What is our heart tempted toward? Getting tired. Getting tired of doing what's right. Might we not be like the world around us? Might the Lord strengthen us in following Him? Let us bow. Lord, our hearts are Yours. We call on You as the people of Israel should have done throughout the whole of the book of Judges. We call on You to keep us faithful in following You, to strengthen us in that. Lord, might we find blessing in the places where you have proclaimed your blessing. The people of Israel were to understand that this land which you had given them was the promised land. This was the land that you had given for their blessing. Might we understand your commands and instructions and gifts Might we understand them as the things given for our blessing? I pray that you would help us in this in Christ's name. Amen. Let us close in song. The Blue Hymnals number 560. 560 in the blue hymnals, take my life and let it be. Would you stand as we sing? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days and let them be filled
my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose, every power as thou shalt. might go forth in the blessing of being ever only all for our Lord. You are dismissed.